0: Go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. I'm going to put your finger there. We're going to come back to that in just a little bit. Ephesians is in the New Testament, about three quarters of the way through the Bible. All right. If you missed last week, we have started a brand new sermon series called Frequently Asked Questions. And what we're doing is we're going through some questions that some of you have asked in your conversations. These are questions that are very important to living a life that honors Christ. And you saw in the video there that there are a lot of questions that you have, all right? And we'll get to some of them. Unfortunately, we're not going to get to all of them. And no, I am not going to be doing a sermon on why is the sky blue. So I'm just letting you know, all right? Now, today is part two of a two-week kind of back-to-back, and we're going to answer the question you see here is, how do I make great decisions? If you missed last week in part one, what we learned was that wisdom and knowledge are important pieces to this. We talked about how recognition and reverence for the Lord are the foundation element for great decision-making. Recognition and reverence, what they do is they lead to submission, and submission is the key. Everybody say the key. That was horrible. Come on. uh, Submission is the key. The key, that's right, for God's wisdom to happen in your life. It's the idea that we defer to God and His wisdom instead of embracing our own harebrained ideas. Right Or somebody else's harebrained ideas. Because here's the truth. We are all fallible. Our heart is corrupt. And therefore we actually lie to ourselves. All the time and we don't even recognize it. A lot of people at least don't. So I want to encourage you today... If you don't, uh, if you didn't watch last week, go back. It's on our YouTube channel. You can listen to it, the podcast, from our website as well. It will help you set the stage and the foundation for what we're going to talk about today. But if you missed it, it's okay. You can still get enough from today. So the question at hand you see on the screen behind me is how do I make great decisions? And we have to remember that the vast majority of people do not know how the process of making great decisions actually takes place. They don't know how to do it in their own life. In fact, a lot of Christians will actually say, well, I pray about it, Pastor Wayne, and then I have peace. Okay, what does that even mean, that you have peace? How would you describe that to somebody in the unbelieving world? And here's what I can tell you. Whenever I eat peanut butter cup ice cream, I am at peace. I can promise you that, okay? Trust me. So before we get into our scripture verse, here's what I want you to do. Let's go back on a journey into your life. Oh, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm asking you to go back in time, think about your life, and let's go back to one or two, and for some of you, of the many, but one or two of the dumbest, stupidest, unwisest, Donkey Kong-level decision that you have ever made in your life. Yeah, I'm talking about that one time when you did that, okay, okay? and let's just pretend, okay, that I'm standing there right next to you as you did that, all right? And as your friend, right after you did, you know that, okay, I look at you and with all the love and compassion that I have for you with a big hug and I say to you, whoa, what made you think that was a good idea? Now, for some of us, That dumb decision, it was incredibly funny. It was so good that it's absolutely worthy of winning the grand prize on America's Funniest Videos. It was stupid, it was dumb, but hilarious, and we're chuckling about it still to this day. But for others of us, the decision that we made, it wasn't so funny, was it? Mm -mm. In fact, we got hurt. Or someone else got hurt. And the consequences of that decision cost us. For some of us, really cost us. And whether it was financially or spiritually or relationally or emotionally or physically, there was a cost. And for some of us, we still feel the pain of that decision to this day. And if we were to go back in time to when you were seven years old... You would probably say, Pastor Wayne, there was no way I would have ever dreamed that life would have turned out the way that it has. But here we are. And so pastorally, I ask you, as you think back on your life, how did you arrive at the conclusion that doing that Donkey Kong thing was a good decision to make? And we all have our ideas about what we were thinking at the time and then so forth. And what's interesting is a lot of people will say, honestly, Pastor Wayne, man, I didn't have any idea what I was thinking. I was so young. I was so stupid. All that kind of stuff. And then later, here's what God does. God brings somebody into your life. And then they say, hey, guess what I want to do? And it's the same thing that you did. And we talked about this last week. Our decisions create a direction in our life, and the direction determines our destination. And so here we have to ask the question, do we really want to end up there at that destination? And so this youngster comes into your life, and they say, hey, guess what I want to do? And you know what we tell them? The same thing that was told to us back in our day. And then they say the same thing that we said. Do you remember that? Do you remember when your mom or your dad or maybe it was your grandma or your grandpa or maybe it was Pastor Joe or, heck, it could have been your sixth grade teacher or even the postman that said to you, hey, you might want to give that a second thought. Do you really think that's the wise thing for you to do? And you remember how you responded? What did we do? We did it anyways. You remember that? Boy, weren't we awesome. And then you throw in what the Bible says, right? The Bible says that the spiritual condition of every human's heart is what? It's deceitful. It's corrupt. In fact, Jeremiah tells us that our heart is the most deceitful and wicked of all things. So what does that even mean? Well, what that means is when you're about to make a decision If your heart desires it, your ability to discern the wisdom that God has for you is instantly skewed. And this is why when you go to a department store like Macy's and JCPenney and you're cruising down the aisle and the sign says, what church it says? A little louder? Sale. The store wants you to believe that this is the sale of all sales and that you need to buy this item right now because you will never ever and JC penny means ever have the opportunity to buy this for this price ever again until next month when they have the next sale all right? Your heart wants it, you're tempted, you're pulled to it, you can't resist, and then you start rationalizing and justifying how much it's a good idea for you to buy that. In fact, one's not one, you need two. In fact, if two's good, four is better. And so we stack the stuff up in our cart. And isn't it interesting that our heart, when it's not interested in the sale, what do we do? We just walk right on by. Don't even bat an eye at it. So in reality, what we're typically talking about here is it's not really about the small things in life, but what about the big things, the big decisions, the kind of decisions that affect your family, you know, when it's time to buy a house or sell a house, maybe purchase a recreational vehicle, or what about a career path change or your physical health, and the list goes on and on and on. How do you use discernment and make a great decision in those areas when your heart is telling you to go here or there? So here's God in all of his wisdom. He recognized us that human beings would have a difficulty with this. And he realized that he needed to put something in the Bible to help us. Because most of the decisions that we're going to make, they're not biblical or unbiblical. They're a-biblical, meaning that there's no verse in the Bible that says, Thou shalt move to Idaho because you don't like California anymore. There's nothing in the Bible that says thou shalt quit your job as a school teacher and start a career as a real estate agent. We have to make those decisions all the time, don't we? But it's not in Scripture. So what do we do? How do we get good biblical principles to help us? And the question becomes is, is there anything in Scripture to help us with that? And the good news for you, church, is there is. And so here's Paul. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. The uh, This was the group of people, the Christians, and they were living in a very pagan culture. We would say that the culture in Ephesus was completely out of control. It wasn't promising at all for believers in Christ, let alone new believers. Lots of things were enticing people toward a life of sin. Selfish pleasures and godless living. It was a kind of place where wrong was considered right. And right was considered not just wrong, but downright oppressive. Does that sound familiar? And so here's Paul. He's trying to encourage the believers in their faith. And he's trying to give them some coaching on how to make great decisions in a completely godless and pagan culture. And so chapter 5 is all about this. And the first 14 verses of this chapter encourage the church to be imitators of God. You could read it, and he would say, hey, love God, flee from sexual immorality, pursue purity, and present yourselves as an offering to the Lord by living a life that honors him. And so Paul's like, hey, everybody, hey, hey, don't get caught up in the malarkey that's going on in the world around you. Don't participate in the things that they think are good. And in verse 8, Paul says, you once lived in darkness... But now you live in the light of the Lord. So live that way. And the Lord, in all of his wisdom, he knew what humanity was going to do. Isn't that nice about God? He understands us. He knew that we would read the first 14 verses of the chapter and then push back. He knew that we would say, God, hey, that's a great idea. It's a good thing to do all that. Man, I'm just not that good. God, besides, you forgave my sins through what Jesus did on the cross. So, you know, I'm just going to play around a little bit with the bad stuff in life. I'm just going to try to be as good as I can. And, but if I mess up, oh, well, my sins are forgiven. It's not the end of things. So knowing that, God gives us the teaching that we need to help us with all of those abiblical questions that are going to pop up in our life. So starting in verse 15, together, here we go. He says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. So I'm gonna stop right there. In your outline, you see the definitions that we have here. Some of these words. Careful means to be on the lookout. To be deliberately avoiding harm. Sounds rational to us, okay? And the word live, it means to to tread all around, and you can see some of the other stuff there. But it literally means... To remain alive. Okay? Novel concept, to remain alive. And see, when you put these ideas together with the context that Paul is writing to, here's what he would say He would tell the church in Ephesus that no matter what you're doing or where you're going, you need to be paying attention to what's going on around you. And you need to watch what you're doing. Be smart, be wise, not as unwise. Because if you're not careful about something, what are you, church? Careless. And if you're careless, you know what's going to happen. Something that's not so good. Would you let somebody who's careless borrow your car? I'm thinking not. And Paul gets it. And that's why he says, be very careful how you live. In other words, think before you do church in Ephesus. I care about you. You with me, everybody? Okay. So Paul wanted to capture, right there in the moment, all of the pushback from the people and the challenges that would come at him with all the things that are like, hey, I just want to get close to sin without actually sinning. A lot of people do that sort of stuff in their life. And Paul's like, hey, that's the wrong way to think. That's the wrong way to approach life. So church, I say to you this morning, if you want to make great decisions in your life, you don't ask this question. You don't say, hey, is there anything wrong with this? You don't say, well, since I've never heard a Bible verse, I've never heard a sermon about it, it must be okay to do. No, don't do that. Instead, what you want to do is you want to ask the question that actually makes sense if you want to make a great decision. That's this. Is this the wise thing to do? That's the question you want to ask. And so in your outline, I want to give you two considerations today for wise living. Number one is this. There is a call from God that we get in Scripture, and as believers, we are to live by a different standard. It's not in your notes, but in 1 Peter chapter 1, God tells us, Be holy because I am holy. That's pretty straightforward, church. God gives us a different standard to live by. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. We get this. This is familiar to us. Living for Christ is counterculture. We have a different standard to follow, yet our sinful nature. And our heart is telling us to go with the culture. It's telling us to get as close to the edge as we possibly can get without technically falling off the edge. We want to experience the heat of the fire. We want to smell the disaster. We want to get close to it, but we don't want to get burned. No, 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 no. We don't want that. Because we think that somehow we are going to miss out on something exciting if we don't get right up to the edge. It's kind of like this. Imagine living life like you're on a winding mountain road and you're doing 75 miles an hour on a motorcycle. What a great idea that is. I mean, who who got up in the morning and said, I know what I'm going to do today. It's going to be awesome. And they went and did that. There's nothing wise about it, and can I just say, danger? You see the lights going, danger, danger, and so we live on the edge. And then when the edge gives way, oh, remember that time that Donkey Kong decision? The edge gave way, and some people they get all upset at God, and it's kind of like it's his fault. And the first thing that people say when they think it's God's fault is they say, God, where were you? Why didn't you rescue me? And God's like, wait a minute, Wayne. Hold on, dude. I called you to live by a different standard. I didn't tell you hang out at the edge to get us close to sin without actually sinning. No, 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 son. I said to you, be wise. And so, so many people struggle with this. And here's Paul, and he's saying, How close do you, Christian, do you want to get to the edge? Is it wise to be there? And we just don't ask that second part. Because we're more concerned about is it going to be fun? Is it going to be something I really want to do? I really want to buy it? Right? And some people might slow down just enough to ask this question is it legal? Because if it is, we often just jump right in and justify and sign on up. Because somehow in our mind, we rationalize that if it's legal, it must be okay to do. It's true. And so in your outline, here's what I call the best question ever. And you see on the screen, it's, is this the wise thing for me to do? Whatever the issue at hand is. Is this the wise thing for me to do? And then Paul goes on in verse 16. And he tells us why. We should be very careful. He says we should make the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. The days were evil in Bible times. And they are still evil today. And you don't have to look too far out there to see that. Do you? No you don't. So. The second consideration for wise living in your outline is this. Number two is the culture has a current, and you don't want to get swept away in it. I mean, church, do you really want to live a life and do things the way the world does? Do you want to do marriage like the world? And the answer is hopefully no. If you're single, do you really want to do dating life like the world says to do it? Financially speaking, do you really want to view money and manage your finances the way that the world suggests for you to do it? I mean, let's be honest. The world says for you to get into debt, spend money that you don't have, to buy things you don't need to impress people you don't even like. And God says, wait a minute, kids. Be careful how you live. Because our decisions... Lead us to a destination. And that's why Paul says in verse 17, read it with me. He says, therefore, and by the way, anytime you see in the Bible the word therefore, you ask the question, what is it therefore? Okay. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And so you can see in your outline here, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, stop playing games and deceiving yourself. In other words, hey, you know if something is a bad idea or not. Think back to the Donkey Kong decision. You knew it was a bad idea, right? In your spirit, you knew right from wrong. You knew that you needed to not do that. And and he's saying, in your spirit, ask, what is the wise thing to do? Stop living in a fantasy world. Stop with the self-deception. Stop playing games and stop allowing the deceitful heart to drive things. Paul's saying, hey, we need to rise above that. God's will is for you not to be foolish. There's too much at stake. How many people do you know in your life who have made an unwise decision and it cost them greatly? sad, a lot of people out there, and that bothers the heart of God. So let's get practical, church. Myself, my church staff, uh, the leaders in our church, our deacons, our MAC, I'm gonna tell you right now, all of us deeply care about each of you, so much. We care about your families, we care about your future. That our church sign out of the front, when you pull in, what does it say? It says, people matter. Because that's true. That's our philosophy here is people matter to God and they matter to us, the body of Christ. So to help you, because you matter, I want us to look at six questions today and really see how this idea of being very careful, how we live, how it plays out in our life day to day. This is what you need, everybody. This is why you came here today. You need this for making good decisions in life because it is all about the application of Scripture. To make good decisions in life, you need to recognize who God is. Have reverence for him. Submit to his will because that is the foundation. We talked about that last week. The best question ever is, is this the wise thing for me to do? Whatever the temptation in front of you is. And then we add on top of that the next layer, which are these six questions. Here we go. The first one I want you to write down in your outline is this. Is it in harmony with God's word? So obviously, not every possible situation is directly spoken of in the Bible. We've talked about that. But what we need to realize is that the Bible itself is God's authority. It is his word. Scripture is the highest authority of them all. Can I get an amen? Okay, and we're all together now. And as believers, we subscribe to that belief. The Bible is the inerrant word of God. So we must make sure that we have Scripture as the bedrock foundation to them all. And if you make decisions in your life the way that the unbelieving world says to do based upon its values, I'm telling you, friend, you will be on sinking sand. You will have problems coming your way. I guarantee it. There's that old hymn that we sang, On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand, period. That's the truth. Psalm 119, verse 105 says this. Your word, O Lord, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. We're gonna look at this verse again in the coming weeks, but God's word is personal, it's relevant, and it's timely, And we can always, everybody say always, always trust what God says. It is the light that we need to navigate this dark world. Second question in your outline. What is the wise thing for me to do? And number two is, would I want anyone to know about this decision? Now, go back to the poor decision you made, the Donkey Kong one, okay? Now that you experienced the consequences of it, my question to you now is, did you get any counsel before you did it? Did you talk to anybody that, who loved you? Or did you seek the counsel from somebody that you trusted and was wise? My hunch is probably not. And here's the reason. Because you already knew what they were going to tell you. Right? Because they would say this, What? you already had $20,000 in credit card debt and you increased your credit limit? What? What made you think that was a good idea? They would tell you, you couldn't afford the house that you were living in, so you sold it and you bought something more expensive? How, how, How did you get there? And so we make all kinds of decisions in life and many times we don't want other people to know because we don't want to hear it from them. Or maybe, just maybe, you were doing something in secret, and you know it's sinful, and we know that we're wrong when we do it, and we're ashamed to get caught. And Scripture says, Proverbs 10, verse 9, here's what God's Word says. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths Will be found out. Translation, and you see it in your outline there, your decisions will be revealed in your life. It's not going to be a surprise. All the people in your life are going to eventually see what you do, whether it's a sinful decision or just something that's incredibly naive and unwise. God promises they will be revealed. And that should stir you, congregation. And I recognize this one could be a little bit hard to swallow, but it is the truth, and I have a responsibility to tell you that. The third question to ask is this. Is this the wise thing for me to do, and will this make me a better person? 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23, 24. This is a familiar verse. It says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Mm, Powerful verse. So yes, 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 yes. You are free to do anything that you want to do. But, and that's a big one, but that does not mean that it's healthy or constructive for you to do it or for your family. And depending on what the decision that you make is, it could reveal itself in a very tough way. So we just need to pay attention to the potential consequences that are out in front of you should you fall off the edge into the abyss. And as for believers, those of us in here who are believers, those of you watching online, if you're a believer, oftentimes what happens is we don't necessarily struggle as much between good and bad as we do between good things and the best thing. And we're gonna talk about this next week. Sometimes we have to choose between what's good and what's the best. And what exactly is the best? Always, it's what God says. Whatever God says is best, that's what we need to do first and foremost. Fourth question to ask is this. Is it the wise thing for me to do? And could it be, help me to become addicted? In other words, could it become addictive to me? Fill in the blank, whatever it is. The temptation in front of you. Is this the wise thing for me to do? And could I become addicted to it? And here's what's interesting, folks. When you talk or interact with folks who are in recovery, and if, if they're going through it, maybe you have, you have somebody in your family have, whatever the case may be, I'll sometimes ask them, I'll say, hey, like, how did you get here? Like, what happened in your life? Tell me your story. And let me just tell you, none of them say, hey, when I was a senior in high school, what I thought was a great idea is I would write in my friend's senior yearbook and say, hey, my dream is that by the time I turn 35, I'm gonna be homeless and living under a bridge. Nobody says that. But yet it happens all the time in our society, doesn't it, church? It does. What happened? Great question. Because many times folks in recovery, they started smoking, drinking, snorting, or whatever it is at a certain point in their life, and it was primarily due to the people that they were hanging around with. That's why who we surround ourselves with matters. And more often, these folks who were in recovery, they were living their life at the edge, and they weren't thinking about what's going to happen if the edge gives way. That sort of thing happens all the time in our world. And we as believers, we've got to get wise to this. Because we all know that once you are swept away by the current, It's really hard to swim back upstream. So when we talk about addiction, a lot of us quickly go to drugs and alcohol and those types of things. But there is actually more. In fact, there are over 2,000 classifications of addiction in our world. So the question becomes, is this the wise thing for me to do? And could I become addicted to it? Very important question to ask yourself. In fact, 1 Corinthians 6 12, here's Paul. He gives the same message again that he did in another different chapter. He says, hey, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial, says Paul. I have the right to do anything, people say. And he goes, but I won't be mastered by anything. So folks, let's be real here. If you're addicted to something, who's the master? Who's the master? Question number five, is this the wise thing for me to do and will it harm others? Now, little transparency here. This is the one where Pastor Wayne goes into his office, shuts the door, and screams in private because this is the one that makes my head spin, okay? So many people live with the philosophy of, and I've heard this my whole life and so have you, and in 1965, way back in the old days, long before I was ever born, right? The music group The Animals sang this phrase in a song, it's my life and I'll, there it is. We know this one. We've seen it a lot. See, the problem with this philosophy is it's incredibly selfish because we have other people who care about us. We have parents and siblings and spouses and kids and family members and church small group members. And we have friends and all the stuff. And and some of you, you have a family member who is currently living that life. They're out there doing, it's my life, I'll do what I want. And they're making poor choices and suffering the consequences of those choices. And you know how it affects you. You're the one who's up at 2 o'clock in the morning worried sick over them. Because of the concern that you have. Your heart aches. So if you're sitting here thinking or you're watching me online today. If you're thinking, yeah man, it's my life and I'll do it as I want. I'm going to be real nice to you right now. Nope. And I'll just leave it right there. Because I think you know what I want to say. So instead of that. We should ask the question, is it the wise thing for me to do? And then layer on top of it, is this going to harm other people? Look what Paul says to the church in Philippians. Chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, what? Value others above yourself. Verse 4, not looking to the own interest that you have, but each to what church? To the interest of Others. Hmm, pretty powerful there. Verse 5, he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So in other words, beloved, it's not just about you. It's not just about your life. Your decisions can harm other people too. And Scripture says that we're to actually value others above ourselves. So that pretty much dismisses the whole, it's my life and I'll do what I want motif. And you can see here from the text of scripture what God thinks of that as well. He's not too impressed. The sixth and last question. Is this the wise thing for me to do? And is it the best investment of my life and resources that God has given me to steward? Because ultimately, everything about our life is an issue of stewardship. And the goal here is to help you discern the pull of the wicked heart going on inside of you with the truth of Scripture of God's Word, so that you don't convince yourself that the really dumb idea that's in front of you is a really great choice to make. And the reason why is because our default position as humans is, if it's not in the Bible, if I've never heard a sermon on it, it must be okay to do it. And that's not a good position to have, beloved. Sometimes we're interested in things. And sometimes we invest our time and our resources into things that aren't necessarily bad. They're not necessarily sinful. They're just not the best stuff. The best stuff is always the things of God's kingdom. It's never, everybody say never. It is never the things of the world. Now, this may be the first time you've ever heard this, and, you know, I'm, hi, my name's Kevin, and no, I'm just kidding. My name's Wayne, and, and I'm proud to present God's word to you. In fact, God says in Psalm 50, it's not in your notes, but that, that everything that you have is from God and belongs to God. Let me say that again. Everything that you have is from God and belongs to God. Nothing belongs to you. Nothing. So you look at your 401k. God's. You look at your, your bank account, God's the money that you have under your pillow, God's the clothing in your closet, God's your car, it belongs to God. The Bible says that God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. So your life, beloved, hey, here's the truth. It is one big opportunity for you to demonstrate stewardship of the resources that belong to him that he gave you to manage. So let's not fool ourselves. God is watching you day and night. He watches you when you sleep. Okay? And he wants to bless you. And he wants you to follow his instructions. Now, along that quick line real quick. When your kids were sleeping, when they're little little babies, did you ever go into their room at night and just watch them sleep for a few minutes? Wasn't that the most precious thing ever? And if you're not a parent yet, one day you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about, to just sit there and watch your kids sleep. Folks, the emotion that you had at that moment, that is what God thinks of you. He wants excellent greatness and good things for your life because he loves you. You are the apple of his eye. You are so important to him. And that's why he says, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, son, daughter, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So if you walked in here today, and if you were totally naive, The good news is, is you can embrace God's wisdom and choose to begin to participate in it and practice it and live your life according to what he says. But you will need to submit your will to his principles. He's laid them out in scripture. They're right there for you. And when scripture doesn't speak to a certain issue or a topic or a subject, the default position needs to become in your life. What's the wise thing for me to do? in light of what's about ready to happen. And if I do that, you might say, Pastor Wayne, if I do that, man, you don't understand, the people in my life, they're gonna think I'm crazy, they're gonna think I'm weird, they're gonna make fun of me. My friend, you have to get past that. God didn't put you on this planet to please those people. God put you on this planet for him. That's the truth. And good stewardship and solid good choices is what God wants for you. And honestly many times the wise choice is going to be unpopular with the world. That's a fact everybody. And that should not surprise you. Hey listen, scripture tells us the world hated Jesus. So I just want to encourage you today congregation. I just want to love on you. I want to encourage you. To purposefully begin making changes in your life where you have wise decisions directing the outcomes. So that your destination is determined by your direction. And your direction is determined by your choices. Listen, God gave us His wisdom, and His wisdom is the navigational tool that we need to navigate through all the minefields of life. We all need God's wisdom in our life, all of us. And when you take a step of obedience and you put scripture in play into your life, I'm telling you, when you run towards God and you become obedient to his word, your life will begin to make sense. And Jesus... He is the pathway to receiving God's wisdom into your life. We need Jesus. We need Jesus in our life. Because if you don't have Jesus in your life, God's wisdom, Scripture says, will elude you. Now why is that? Because your sin creates a barrier. There is no way around it, congregation. There's no shortcut in this. You must recognize that He is God, and you are not. So with reverence, with recognition, submit your will to the Lord Jesus. Last week we mentioned how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So Jesus invites you today to come to him. He invites you to repent of your Dumb decisions and the sinful things that you have going on in your life, the things that you do in secret, yeah, they're all exposed before God. Let's be honest. He invites you to turn to him. And he invites you to come to his loving arms. Honestly, when you talk about wise decisions, that one is the wisest decision that you could ever make. Amen? Congregation, I'm going to ask that you stand and pray with me this morning. So, Lord Jesus, we just come before you right now just to say thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace in our life. And, Lord, we recognize that the truth of Scripture says that everything in our life is laid before you. It's bare. It's seen. Nothing is hidden. And so, God, we just simply submit now to you the dumb things that we have done. Lord, we give you our sin now. We submit those to your feet. We say, God, I am sorry for the things that I have done. I'm sorry for the wayward decisions and the things that we have done because our heart has convinced me and lied to me. So God, I just pray for everybody in this room now that is struggling through some of this, Lord. Lord, I pray that you just give them the grace that they need to take a step forward. Father, would you fill our hearts? Would you fill our minds with your spirit today? Help us to know that you are near. And congregation, if there's anybody in this room today that's never submitted to Jesus, I just want you to know that Jesus is here for you today in this place. He just simply says, hey, come to me. If you're heavy worded, then I will give you rest. Let Give your burden to me. Let me take it upon my shoulders. So if you want to give your burden to the Lord today, I just want to encourage you. Repent. Repent. And turn to Jesus. Father, again, as we're here today, Lord, fill us with your presence today. Help us as we worship you now. In Jesus' name we pray.